Good morning, familia. How are we doing today? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so for those of you that do not know me, my name is Josue, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at the Grove Church. And if you've been around any amount of time, you've heard me use this word before, familia, and hopefully you kind of hear some resemblance. It's a Spanish word for family. And, uh, and for me, it's just really important to use that word often to remind myself of the truth that we are a family in Christ that we are brothers and sisters uh, because we've been brought into the family, into the fold. And uh, just in God's sovereignty and providence, I get to speak on that today. I get to speak about what it means to be family, what it means to love one another. And, uh, and so today we're going to be doing that. And uh, one of the things that I think we often uh, have in our society that we don't necessarily define often is, is this word friend. Right? And so we have a lot of thoughts on what friends should be, a lot of thoughts of what friends should look like. Um, but we never, I don't know that we actually ever talk about how to determine that. And as I was thinking and preparing for today, I did a little uh, research in, um, in a place you guys all know that's called Facebook. Very, very, very practical place to find uh, research for today. And, uh, and I started thinking, so what are the things that we value in friendships? What are the things that society tells us are friends? So I'm going to give you some of just some quotes I found um, for you to listen to. So here's one. If your friends don't elevate you, it's because they hating on you. Yeah. yeah. Someone speak. And some of you are like, can you please pass that on to me so I could put it on my Facebook? But um, hopefully by the end of today, you'll, you'll see what I'm getting at, that you won't need to be posting these things. How about this? Surround yourself with people who believe in you more than you do in yourself. Yeah, we need those people that are going to lift us up, right? Surround yourself only with people who are going to lift you higher. Brother, I need to get to that next level, so I need to find the most successful people around me to get me higher. Surround yourself with people who make you feel true happiness inside, right? That's what we want. Those friends that are going to make us feel happy on the inside, those are the people we want around us. And these final three are some of my favorite. Sometimes your circle decreases in size, but increases in value. Some said preach, right? Like, that's good. Yeah, give that to me. How about this one? A good friend is like a four-leaf clover, hard to find and lucky to have, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, come on. And finally, this is, this is probably my favorite one. You can't soar with eagles when you flock with turkeys. Yeah, come on. So if I've been a turkey in your life, you're going to have to remove me from your friendship circle. But what is the common thread we hear in all of these quotes that you know, hey, tag your true friends. And we see this on Facebook all the time. The focus of these quotes, the focus of these friendships is you. It's your happiness. It's your comfort. It's getting to that next level of the things you want, right? And that's ultimately what we hear about friendship in society. And the hard part for me in thinking through this was that uh, many of us as believers actually function this way practically when it comes to the love of Christ and loving one another. So what kind of friend do you want is normally the question that we ask ourselves. What kind of friends do I want to surround myself with? What is going to make me happier? But do you ever ask yourself, what kind of friend are you? Do you ever ask yourself, what kind of friend are you? If you met somebody just like you that has all the quality traits that you have, would you want that person to be your friend? Do you engage? Do you uh, give? Are you sacrificial? Are you intentional? Are you passive? 
and receive and expect and put all these, these demands on people. Well, what if you were to meet somebody just like you? Would you be your own friend? And I think today, what we're gonna find is that today's scriptures is gonna be a mirror for us to look ourselves to uh, look to ourselves through. And as we navigate some of the things that Christ would tell us is a true friend, I just want you to ask yourself, are these things true about me, about the way I'm a friend, about the way I relate to those that God calls me to love? And I'm going to have to warn you that you're probably going to find that you fall very short of this list, and that's okay. That's the beauty of the gospel, that we would be redeemed, that we would be forgiven, that every day we could move a little bit closer to resemble the love Christ has had for us. And so today, my hope is that you wouldn't leave here discouraged, thinking, man, I'm a crappy friend. Maybe. But that you would leave here thinking, man. <laughs> uh, sorry. But that you would leave here thinking, man, I, I can resemble more of Christ. That's my call as a friend. The call of biblical friendship is not about you. It's about who Jesus is. And so loving friends reveal who Christ is. Loving friends are centered in Christ and reveal who Christ is. Or just simply put, loving friends are centered around Christ and reveal the love of Christ. That's the goal of Christian brotherhood, of Christian friendship. And I hope that today you leave with that thought here. Uh, there's a man named Peter Drucker who, uh, he was a business consultant and uh, died uh, about 13 years ago, uh, lived to be 96 years old. He shaped a lot of the philosophy in business today. And one of the things he says is, um, a priority is a relationship within a responsibility. And what this chapter is calling us to is different priorities and so I wanted to show us how this plays out in the chapter because it's going to be very important for us to understand this in order to truly live out what God is calling us to live out in today's text. And so chapter 15 is actually full of relationships and priorities and, and uh, expectations from us, things that we need to prioritize, responsibilities we're to have. And so I'm going to put this up on the screen and, and just set the tone for today, what this chapter is ultimately telling us. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, hey, your first relationship, we heard this last week, is with me, is with Christ. It's for you to, your responsibility, abide in me, so that you may bear fruit. The call is not, the command is not to go and bear fruit. We can't do that on our own. Our responsibility is simply to abide in Christ. And what we will find is that today, that call is ultimately what will help us, what will drive us to live out what he's calling us to do today. So the first part of chapter 15, we relate to Jesus, we abide in Christ, that's our responsibility. Today we move to the second part of us as believers, and that's to relate to one another, to relate to those he's called to love, love one another, and that's of the family of Christ, that's to other believers. And so the relationship is to other believers, and the responsibility is to love one another. But what you will notice is that we cannot do what he's calling us to do today unless we are abiding in Christ first. The commandment to love one another will seem impossible unless we are truly abiding in Christ. And next week, we'll see the end of the, of the chapter talk about our relationship to the world and our responsibility is to witness to the world. But what we will notice yet again is that if we're not abiding in Christ and we're not loving one another, we will not be good witnesses to the world. Why? Because Jesus said in John 13, 35, that by this they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So we can't say we're abiding in Christ, relating to Christ and reaching the world and yet not loving one another 
And that's what our call today is going to be about, is how do we really love one another? How are we to do this? And Christ, in his beautiful words and beautiful example, will point that out to us. So brother and sister, use today as a mirror to walk out of here convinced that the love Christ has had for you is so great that it will motivate you to love those around you in the same manner. Verses 12 and 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Loving friends live sacrificially when they are Jesus-centered. Now, I use the term loving friends not just as an adjective of how we're to be described. I use it as a verb because what we find in this text is that the word love, as, as, when you think of friendship, we would expect it to be the word translated from phileos, brotherly love, brotherly affection. And yet the word Jesus uses here very intentionally for love is the word for agape, unconditional, unwavering, the kind of love that's intentional and always pursuing, forgives all. This is the love that Jesus is talking about we're to have with the brotherhood. And so what kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about the unconditional love that Christ has given us as an example. And so he says that uh, in verse four and five that uh, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is the command he gives us to love one another. And it might seem impossible and it is in it of itself. But when we look back to four and five, when we look at the beginning of this, that he says, as I have loved you, we see that the centrality of our friendships is Christ, is Jesus-centeredness. And so we can't do everything else he's asking us to unless we're centered around Christ. This goes way back to the Old Testament. This goes way back to the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, 17, 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And Jesus today says, hey, you remember this teaching from the Old Testament, love your neighbor like yourself. But now I'm adding, adding something to that, as I have loved you. And so first, for us to truly love, we have to experience God's love. For us to truly love one another, it is only in abiding in Christ. And you will hear me repeat this over and over again today because everything else will not be possible unless we are abiding and experiencing the love of God. When you and I come face to face with Christ, when you and I come face to face with the reality of our depravity, we see the great love and grace he's given to us. And that's the motivator that will ultimately help us ask, who am I to withhold grace? Who am I to withhold mercy from those around me when Christ has given that to me every single day? And so our first priority is to love God. And in order to love one another, we have to be abiding in Christ. And then he says, as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that you would lay down your life for your friends. The greatest expression of love is death. And why is this? It's because it's a picture of the love of Christ. The greatest expression you could ever have of love for anyone around you is death. Because ultimately, that expression reveals the love of Christ. And so our friendships are not based on me, are not based on us and our preferences. They're based on who Christ is and what he has done. So this is the beautiful thing that Christ does with his disciples when he tells them this, is he invites them by faith to taste how good his love is. And let, and let me bring that to us here today. He invites us by faith to taste how good his love is. And by so doing, inflames us 
by his example to love our brothers. When you think of relating with one another, is that shaped, is that informed by the love you've experienced with Christ? Or is that shaped and informed by your comfort, by your preference, by the things you like to do, by affinity, by your clubs, by your hobbies, by all the things that are about you? Christ would say, that's not the standard of friendship for us as brothers and sisters. To love one another is to be inflamed, it's to be stirred up to love because we are experiencing the love of Christ. And Ephesians 5, 2 would say, walk in the way of love just as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What kind of friend are you? Are you the type of friend that when people are around you, they say, man, that was so good being with that person. It was so good talking with that person. Are you the type of friend that's taxing? Are you the type of friend that always has drama going on, always has things you need to talk about, always has needs, and all you ever do is take, 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 take? Brothers and sisters, it's okay. There's reciprocity. We're gonna talk about that in a second. But if all you're ever doing is this, give me more, give me more. I need this from you. I need this from this person. And we're just going around taking, then we're not really experiencing the love of Christ. For the love of Christ is seen not in taking, but in giving. So we are to love one another according to the degree set forth by Christ's sacrificial love. And this is an active thing. I'm gonna read over you just some quick verses that I think will help us understand how does this practically play out in our lives. First John 3, 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love brothers. Whoever does not, not Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So what's abiding in you? Is it love or is it death? When you see the way you relate to other people, is what's coming out of you love or is it more indicative of death? And John would tell us here toward the end of his life, he's remembering the greatest, this commandment that they've been told from the beginning is to love one another. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in them? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. It's not just about talking the talk, it's about walking the walk, right? It's about living this out. And so if you're here and you're looking around at your brothers and sisters in need and you have something you can give, maybe it's actual resources, money, maybe it's of your time, maybe it's of your home, maybe it's sharing a meal and hearing concern or giving concern for the other person's well-being emotionally, mentally, socially, spiritually, and you withhold that, you're not abiding in love, you're abiding in death. That's how drastic the contrast is. First Peter 4, 8 through 10, above all, above all, keep loving one another. This is active, this is ongoing, earnestly. Do you earnestly want to love? Do you want to continually be better at loving those around you? Since love covers a multitude of sin, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. When you truly experience abiding in Christ and experience his grace and mercy, the fruit that he's calling us to bear is this, is that we would be hospitable to one another, that we would show love to one another, that we wouldn't grumble about it, but that we would pursue ways to do more and more of it. And maybe you're telling me, but brother, you don't understand, you don't get it. Uh, 
people are nasty. People are ugly. People are hurtful. People are backstabbing. People say and do things that I do not like. 1 Corinthians 13 will tell us about the kind of love that we're talking about today. 13.13 says, so now hope, faith, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And we hear this in weddings, right? Like in really beautiful settings of everything's joyful and everything's good and man, love is above everything, right? But then you get to the nitty gritty. You get into your daily living, into relating. You get into all the things that are not as pretty, right? You get into the things that all of a sudden you're starting to rub each other the wrong way. That's natural. That happens. Since Leviticus, since the Old Testament, God would say, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Do this without grumbling because it's natural. We don't have the same kind of mentality. We relate at different levels. We think differently. And so we will have friction. This will happen. But right before that, in verse 7, and I, and I want this up on the screen because I want you to pay attention to this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. At the center of love is this product, which is hope and faith. We see that. But what you'll see sandwiched in between hope and faith is what? Is bears all things and endures all things. My brother and my sister, if you are in relationships right now here with your brothers and sisters and it's been hurtful and it's been costly and you want to step away and you're like I'm done with this person congratulations you're experiencing the love of Christ you're experiencing what it's like to give the love of Christ you're experiencing what it's like to reveal the love of Christ for your faith and your hope are important but they are sandwiched between bearing and enduring all things and that is how we reveal the love of Christ. It's not easy. And I don't pretend to be here and tell you that it's all just great. God's just going to make everything new overnight. It's a progress from degree, from, glory, from degree to degree. We turn more into the image of Christ. But it takes you and me to truly love one another and endure and bear all things with one another so that our lives could be more than just our comforts and our preferences so that we could truly proclaim and reveal the love of Christ to one another. And so we see that loving friends live sacrificially. What's hurting you right now? And then what's costing you right now to be a friend? Those are good questions for you to be asking yourself when you think of living sacrificially and giving more Given more of yourself even when it hurts. For you see, the greatest example we had was that of Christ, that he would go to the cross and die for us even though we were undeserving. Let's continue, 14 and 15. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Second thing we see here is that loving friends obey and speak truth because of intimacy with Jesus, okay? Loving friends obey and speak truth because of intimacy with Jesus. Now, some of us have adopted uh, the mentality of, I just gotta keep it real, right? Like, people just need to know the truth. Like, that's what I'm called to in scripture. Now, I'm gonna tell you probably the most embarrassing story I have of my dating time with Yadira. So really early on, as in any relationship, uh, we were bickering and arguing a lot. And, and I thought to myself, right, so 
this is not healthy. We need to figure out a way to, to just kind of talk about it and move past this and, uh, and really just kind of bring to surface what's going on. And in my mind, uh, as uh, a person who was obviously very immature emotionally at this time, I thought to myself, so how could I do this well to where she'll understand this? And my solution was to give her a graph. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I actually found this graph in my papers as I was cleaning up my desk uh, last week. So it just, it's interesting. It's this graph of time versus emotional investment. Um, so, brothers, uh, that's not a good way to talk to your wives about important things. I learned my lesson. Obviously, I never did that again. Uh, it was not fruitful or productive. But in my mind, I'm thinking, this is true. Let's look at how much time we're investing and how much emotional uh, investment we have through this time and, and we'll see all the data points here and then all of a sudden, uh, we'll just move the other way, right? Um, in my mind, I was keeping it real. In my mind, I was speaking the truth. But it was based not out of an intimacy with Jesus, it was based out of a centeredness of Josue, of selfishness, of I'm annoyed, I'm bothered, um, we're fighting too much. This is a poor use of our time. All the things that are of me and what I want and none of the things that say, hey, I love you and I need to know what you care about. I need to know who you are. I need to know what your preferences are. I need to die to myself so that you may experience joy. It was out of my preferences. It was out of Josue's centeredness. And it was not out of intimacy with Jesus. You know, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, there's only one person that's called the friend of God. You guys know who that is? It's Abraham. Abraham is the only one that is categorically described as a friend of God. And in this text, Jesus will shift the paradigm drastically. I think you and I may take this so lightly that you and I would be called friends of God, but in all of the Old Testament, there was only one person I was called a friend of God. Genesis 18 says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation? All, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And God says, Will I hide from Abraham? And there's this element of intimacy that now we begin to see here. Intimacy is fundamental to loving friends. And when God says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, there is an element of intimacy. And he says, why? Because I have revealed to you all that the Father has revealed to me. And this pattern has been true even since the Old Testament, where God says, shall I hide my face from Abraham? And the question is posed in a negative way, where the answer is actually, no, I won't. In fact, he goes on in Isaiah and says, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. And that great place of honor that Abraham was given in the Old Testament is the same place of honor you and I have today. And that is radical and that is beautiful and that should motivate and drive us to truly relate to Jesus. And this is the thing he says, um, you are my friends if you do what I command. 
And this is not a conditional, so that you can be my friends, do what I command. Some of us may read it that way, but he is saying this is like the law of gravity, right? We walk outside and none of us say, all right, gravity, don't let me fly off of the ground, right? It's just there. It happens because of God's beautiful design for the earth. And in the same way for us, his beautiful design for friendship and for love, he tells us that out of abiding in him, out of having intimacy with him, we will be able to keep these commands, not perfectly, but day by day, we will grow in them. But when we don't have intimacy with Jesus, then we take these commands and two things can happen from this text. One, he says, uh, we treat it like we're his servants, which we are. But if we only treat it like we're his, his servants, then it becomes legalism. It becomes duty. I have to love my friends and we become exhausted. And when you experience these rubs with people, and you're like, I'm done with them. I never want to see them or talk to them again. Maybe some of that stems out of duty more than true intimacy with Jesus. But when duty and religiosity take control, those things are void of an intimate relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're on the other end. And this was a pretty popular slogan in the 90s, right? Jesus is my homeboy. Maybe you have a hat that says that. It's okay, I don't judge you. But that's not what he's saying here. For you see, if that's the only way we treat Jesus as our homeboy, then we will feel like we have the license to do whatever we want. After all, Jesus is cool with me, no big deal. So now we have all this freedom that we think we can do whatever we want, and that too is void of an intimate relationship with Jesus. But true disciples that abide in Christ, true disciples who have intimacy with Jesus, know their place as servants and friends. Know that they have been elevated from servants to friends. And this is a huge deal because Jesus has revealed all things. Now, he is not saying he's revealed everything the Father has said to them. What he is telling them is that it's not the extent of the revelation, it's the intensity of his life, of his love, and of his sacrifice. And that would be what would become their motivator, to love one another well. And so... Friendship with Christ is partnering in sacrificial love by courageously dying for our brothers and our sisters. And the only way we can do this is when we have intimacy with Jesus. For Otherwise, you will be like me and present graphs that mean nothing, that really mean nothing, because they are not rooted in an intimate relationship with Jesus. Do you want to be a good friend? My brother's sister starts with abiding and having intimacy with Jesus. For out of that, we can speak truth. So I have a couple of verses for us to apply this. Romans 1.12, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both, both yours and mine. So maybe this week, maybe this month, you need to find somebody that out of realizing the reality of God's grace in your life, you would encourage them through your faith. This is the beautiful relationship that happens with the families, that we encourage one another with one another's faith. Proverbs 27, 17, a verse we all know as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I was talking with a buddy or with a friend uh, this, over the retreat about this, just an image I've had before, and he confirmed it. Is when, when you strike two irons together, and I think I've said this before, we don't hear this beautiful symphony and angels singing, right? Like that's not the product of that. There's sparks, there's heat. There's all these things that come out of that, but what comes, the product out of that is sharper irons. And so the way we relate to one another will be difficult. There will be friction. There will be sparks. There may, be, there may even be flames. But guess what? God is using that 
to make us sharper. And what I mean by that is not make us better people, but to make us more into the image of Christ. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You are the body. If you look around this room, you will see that every one of you that's a believer in this room is a part of the body of Christ. You all have value. You all have purpose in the body of Christ. And that is to build one another up into the image of Christ in love. That's our responsibility to one another. And this is what will prepare us for next week to witness to the world. For if the world looks at you and me and sees us divided, they do not see Christ. But when the world looks at you and me and sees a group of people that are full of love for one another, not easy, not clean, it's messy, but they see that we keep pressing in rather than taking the posture of the world that says, hey, you've wronged me, so guess what? I'm removing myself from you. I don't, I don't need you in my circle. You're a turkey. I don't need you with me, right? And yet the love of Christ would say, yeah, you're a turkey, but I'm going to love you. And what if that becomes our posture as a church, as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ? We will grow up into love and we will reveal the love of Christ to the world. Let's finish up. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The final thing I think we see here is that loving friends take initiative Pray and point to Jesus. Now, you may be reading verse uh, 16 and get a little stuck, right? We're talking about election now. And this is a greater theme. This could be a whole sermon in itself. But I just simply want to tell you this. Jesus is telling his disciples here, hey, I chose you. You did not choose me. In that time, servants would actually choose who they wanted to be led by, who their master was. And yet Jesus, even from the get-go, was so radical with them that he went out and picked his disciples. He chose his disciples. And in the same way, he chose you and me. And he gave us the gift of faith. He gave us the gift of grace. He gave us the gospel. And so when we look at Abraham, even in that text, he says, I chose Abraham. We look at Paul and he ascribes his apostleship in Romans 1.5 to the gift of grace and declares that he was separated from the, group, from the womb in Galatians 1.15. So my brother and my sister, if you're sitting here and you've placed your faith on Christ, this is the beautiful gift of Jesus. It is not in your own doing. It is not in your own merit. It is he has chosen you and given you his, his love. He's given you a relationship with Christ. So it's our responsibility to abide, to relate. And so we are to follow his example, not only in sacrificing, but also in initiating. Many of us have a posture of, well, they haven't talked to me yet. Well, they haven't reached out to me yet. It's a, it's a two-way street. It's a reciprocal street. And when Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command, he's saying that we will reveal our relationship to God by what we do. And so do you want to know how you're relating to Jesus? Look at how you're relating to others. That will show you how you're truly relating to Jesus. Are you taking initiative to reach out to those around you? Are you taking initiative to really reach out to people that maybe you don't like, but that you need to love on? And so it starts and ends with a command that points us to Christ. 
Friends are also people who will pray for you. He says, hey, anything you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. And the qualifier here is in my name, in Jesus' name, meaning we are in Christ so we can pray that way. We don't come to the Father except through Jesus. We can't be connected to the Father except through Jesus. And so when we abide, we're able to come to the Father to ask. And what are we asking for? Who are you praying for these days? Do you wanna be a good friend? Who are you praying for these days? It's really that simple. Quick text in the morning. Brother, sister, how can I pray for you today? And go to the Father in Jesus' name and ask it. Let me finish up with these three verses. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So maybe this week it just means calling up one of the friends, one of the brothers, one of the sisters here at the church. And maybe it's time to confess some sin. Maybe it's time to call one another out and say, hey, that does not look like the love of Christ. Or maybe it's time for you to call a brother or sister this week and repent. Say, hey, I've not been revealing the love of Christ to you. I've been been revealing the selfishness in my heart. I've been revealing that I'm not abiding in Christ. I'm abiding in my preferences and my wants. So maybe that's what that looks like this week. Or maybe it looks like you coming around a brother or sister that you know has a need and saying, hey, I'm praying with you. I'm praying for you. I'm with you. What do you need? What can I do? First John 2, 9 through 11, whoever says he is in light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. I want to encourage us this week to walk in the light. I want you to be encouraged this week to begin to think as you read through these things that Christ has called us to, am I walking in the light or am I walking in the darkness? And I want you to be courageous enough to admit if you're walking in the darkness, if the way you're relating to others is in darkness, that you would repent and turn, that you would repent and believe in the gospel and you would come back to Christ and say, Lord, help me love those around me the way you have loved me. And then find practical ways to do that through this week. And so... Jesus has to be the center of all of our friendships and relationships with believers, with one another. He has to be the reason why we speak truth. Intimacy ultimately will produce truth. We will reveal Jesus when we are intimate with Jesus. And our ultimate goal as friends here, as brothers and sisters, is not our comfort, is not our happiness on the inside. That's not the goal of friendship. If I had to boil it down to to something, it is this. It is us pointing one another to Christ. And my hope is that as we look around this room and we see each other, that we would see people who are sacrificial, people who initiate, people who pray, people who are willing to die to themselves so that the love of Christ may be made known among the brothers and sisters here at the Grove and in the greater context of the church. So my brother and sister, are you flocking with turkeys? Are you soaring like an eagle? Is that the way you're seeing your friendships? Or are you looking to Jesus first and saying, Lord, I'm so humbled by the love and the grace you've given me. Help me. We need it. Help me love my brothers and my sisters well. Help me die to myself and my preferences and my comfort and the things that I think are true. And help me reveal who you are 
Help me live the gospel in a way that points to you and not to myself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, raising us from servants who could never know what it is you are doing and bringing us into a position of friendship where we have direct access to you, to what you are doing, to what you are calling us to do in our lives. And so we're not simply following blindly. We are intimately, closely connected to you because that is our hope that we would abide in Christ. Father, I pray that we would radically be transformed in our moments with you, that we would be radically transformed to understand the great depths of your love and that by that love, we would then be motivated to love one another well, especially in difficult times, that that love would motivate and drive us to bear and endure all things, all things. It doesn't say some things. It says all things. And that our love would really reveal the love of Christ. That we would be transformed to reveal the love of Christ and not ourselves. Father, we're humbled that the king of the universe would call us friends. Let us look at our lives honestly and see where we're not really loving like Christ. Let us look at our lives and see where we are not abiding and having intimacy with Jesus. Let us repent and believe in the gospel because you are here wide open, telling us, you can't run too far from me. You are my friend no matter what. So come back, come close, so that I can love you so well that you will love others the same way. Father, we're humbled, we're grateful. Stir us up to love you well and to love one another well. In your name we pray.